Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Evening Jones. Uh, I guess I can say Happy New Year, my man Cortez at work. He was like, we would say Happy New Year on January 2nd, the first day we back at work. And Cortez, like, how long y'all going to keep saying Happy New Year? There's no real consensus on how long you do that, but I do feel like we're friendly enough, and this is the first time we've done one of these podcasts in the new year. That that's the sort of thing that I should say. Ergo, therefore, Happy New Year. So last week, I missed a couple of days. It was one of those interesting things that happens where if I say something, like, it doesn't happen nearly as much anymore. I, I, I don't have a great answer for why. But for years, if I missed a day at work, people would stay hitting me up and be like, yo, I hope they didn't fire you. Right. They'd be more delicate in their phrasing. But that was always what they say. Basically, yo, I hope they didn't fire you. And maybe I just don't give a fuck if I get fired no more. I have no idea. That is entirely possible. Uh, But when I miss days, people don't so much do that no more, except I miss Thursday and Friday. And I miss Thursday and Friday after on Wednesday. We had done a little segment on the Rooney rule and it went kind of hard. All right. And so, you know, I had a couple people be like, yo, I hope they ain't shut you down for that. I'm like, nah, they might shut me down for something, but it wasn't that one. They would have said something to me by the time, like by the time you saw it, I'd have heard something about it if it was really that kind of situation. But no, I missed those days for jury duty. And you might be thinking, you said days plural. Did they put you on a jury? Well, so I go down for jury duty, right? Ride the train, get off while by that, you know, the, the doot doot, the law and order courthouse steps. You know what I'm saying? I go past that, I go down, go to the courthouse, go through the metal detector. And I got to say, they got one hell of a metal detector in there. That thing pick up anything at all. And I imagine that that's what they have to do because, you know, courthouse people be wild. So anyway, go through the metal detector, get in the room. I got to say that like the lady that briefs the room on everything that's going on, she was mad cheerful. Like I feel like she had some level of understanding of the fact that don't nobody really want to be there. She was remarkably upbeat considering. I also make the point that I guess I get why the idea of jury duty was so miserable before we got all this technology but now that everybody's got phones and ipads and everything else and you can pretty easily keep yourself entertained like jury duty is really not that miserable a thing like you'd rather be somewhere else doing these things but it's not so bad and 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 i gotta say the seats were comfortable right so okay whatever so we there we doing getting our jury duty on first day Get to about 12, 15, 12, 30. They tell us we can go to lunch. They always they give us a long lunch too, man. They say we ain't had to come back till 12, 15, I mean, till 2, 15, right? All right, bet. 2, 15, I come back in. We just in there posted up. Man, it gets to be about 4 o'clock. They ain't come and done nothing. I'm like, all right, man, I figure I'm straight. They're like, all right, everybody in the room, we're going across the street to this other courthouse. Here are these yellow cards for you. That way you can skip the metal detector. But we're going to take you across the street and we're going to get you in the courtroom and we're going to get you sworn in. I'm like, damn, we doing this now? Like at four o'clock? Like I figured you was just telling us to go home. It's four o'clock, right? 
Last time I did jury duty was in Miami, and they sent us home before the blind side was over. Anyway, um, so we all roll out. Now, I understand, man. It is dozens and dozens of people that are in this hallway, and we got to go out this building across the street to another one. Like, this is a real elementary school type stuff. Like, I'm surprised that they did not have us, like, holding a rope. I don't know if you don't sync that from the kids. But the kids are like, they had the kids hold a rope so that everybody stayed together. I'm surprised they didn't do that with us. But anyway, we go across, 4 o'clock. We walk in. We all sit down in the courtroom. Raise your right hand. Swear on firm. They throw a firm in there now for y'all. All right, whatever, you know. Um, we do that. And so I'm sitting there. And I think I'm on, like, the second row. And I lie to you not. That defendant started looking at people when they were walking in. Because I guess he just been looking straight ahead all day or whatever. But anyway, I swear he recognized me. I swear he was looking like, wait, what? Are you? Really? Yeah, man. I may or may not have given him a head nod. It's a force of habit. Black person, like, if you look at me knowingly, at this point, one way I figured out how to stave off conversation with strangers is give them that head nod. It makes them feel like, yeah, I know you know it's me. And I acknowledge it. And now they ain't got to come ask me no more. Right? So force a habit. Gave him a little head nod. Somebody said, here, giving a dude a head nod before deciding his fate is nuts. But I was not on a jury. We had not gotten to that part, right? So the judge tells us, he's like, yo. Somebody said here, bro, was like, damn, bo the feds. They don't make the feds the jury. Like, do you know what the feds are? Anyway, so the judge tells us it's 4 o'clock. They'd already had a previous group. Come in there. They did not seat the full jury. So they were going to get people out of our group. But it was four o'clock. So they sent us home and told us to come back the next day at 1130. You heard that right. They sent us home. And told us to come back. So I left. And I came back the next day. We walked into courtroom. We sat down. Judge told us he already got enough jurors from the last jury. Sent us home again. So the courthouse ain't far from the gig. So I send a gig text message and be like, yo, they let us out early. Do you need me? After a couple of minutes, it dawned on me. Wow. That was stupid. But it also dawned on me that I'd absolutely approached the night and the day 
as if I was not going to be on television. So I hit him back. It was like, yo, actually, nah, I really shouldn't do this. This is the truth. I shouldn't have done it because I hadn't prepared. And they already had uh, Jacoby lined up to do the show or whatever. And so that was that. But I was just really saying this to ask what y'all thought about me giving the dude the head nod. And I get the feeling that it didn't go over as being the friendly gesture that I intended. Anyway, let us move on to your questions. Would you be curious about your wife's relationship with Tupac also? I'm assuming you guys saw the, the Faith Evans thing on Lifetime with the whole Biggie and uh, Tupac uh, situation. And I watched that. And this is what I would say, right? Because apparently everybody in this situation was adamant that Faith wasn't getting down with Tupac. Oh, that's right. Left Eye had the same thing, right? Like with Tupac. Yeah, Lifetime is doing Biggie Pot content. They called it Biggie Faith content, but they did that. But they also did one on Andre Rising and Lisa Left Eye Lopez. Oh, and there's another one about Will Smith. Yo, here's the thing about Tupac, man. Tupac was cool with everybody, girl. Yes, man. Somebody here talking about Left Eye. Yeah, apparently Tupac and Left Eye was like that. They was like the homies. Yes, they were the homies. And everybody told Andre Rising that it was all good. They were just real cool. They were just friends. That was all it was. But Andre Rising simply could not believe that. And I fully understand why Andre Rising could not believe that. Because if it was Andre Rising, they would just not be cool. Somebody here saying Rising didn't want that smoke, no pun. And I'm like, hey, uh, if I'm not mistaken, Andre Rising is from Flint, Michigan. Um, yeah, so I would be careful with these assumptions that you out here make it. But like Tupac was cool with everybody's woman. And the thing that's wild about it is in so many of these situations, he's legitimately cool with them. Um, now the, the, the Biggie Faith Pac situation was not about being cool. And I thought you wanted to talk about that because I did see that. And so apparently per this documentary, and I've seen this story before, I think Joel Addison had it in the slow burn podcast. Faith say she in LA is after Tupac done got out of jail, right? She, she and Biggie separated all that. So she out there in LA, she has some club Pac. Is like, yo, I want you to come sing the hook on this song. And the song that he wanted her to sing the hook on was Wonder Why They Call You Bitch. And so she sees Pac. Pac says, 25 G's. Come do it. Come do the song. And she's like, yo, 25 G's. All right. And so she rolls up. And slowly but surely, she realizes after Suge done come out and Corrupt's there and everybody else done come out, slowly but surely she recognizes, oh, snap, this the Death Row studio. Right. And then when it's time to get the money, Pac is like, yo, come by the hotel. I got your money. And so she's in the lobby 
And he's like, all right, cool. I got your bread, but you got to come to the room to get it. And so she goes to the room to get the bread. And then the dude, I can't remember which sexual act he said that he required from her in order to get the money. But it went from there. And she left. And she never got the money. And she said that as soon as all this was done, that she called Big to let him know so that he would know what was going on. And, of course, he, as a dude would in that situation, like, struggle to believe it. Though, to be fair, I feel like a man in the same situation, his woman ain't really trying to believe what he's talking about in that circumstance, neither. Here's what got me about that. This is after Tupac got out of jail. All right? This is after Tupac while in jail has talked about how he thinks that Biggie had him killed or had him shot, rather. Right? All this stuff. He's wilding. It's before hit him up, but he'd been capping on Biggie for who knows how long. Faith ain't heard about none of that. Not a single word of it. I know some other story that came up. I can't remember exactly what it was, but Faith seemed to have absolutely no connection to the news and events of her industry. Like somehow to think she was at the Source Awards and she was backstage and somehow she had no idea whatsoever that the thing had happened with Suge coming out on stage. She had no clue. No clue. Not even about the things that involved her husband. They were separated, but still, I'm like, yo, how did you not know nothing? Nothing at all. Like, I'm not even disputing whether or not she's telling the truth. I just can't understand how she did not have any idea what was going on ever. Ever, ever, ever. Anyway, to the question, would you be curious about your wife's relationship with Tupac? Yeah, man, Tupac. And you know what, to be fair. When I was younger, I looked at dudes and was like, yo, they ain't a dude you trust around your woman. Some of them I was cool with, right? But it ain't necessarily a dude you trust about your woman, around your woman. That don't really happen so much now in adulthood. You know, like in my 30s, I guess I'm pushing 40s now. But at this point, it don't, it don't really shake out like that, right? Like, at my age now, if my wife was like, yeah, I'm cool with insert person here, I'm going to assume that that's the case, you know? And if it ain't cracked by now, then it ain't going to crack. Like, that's probably the way that I would, like, that's, that's the way that I would see it. But in my 20s, hell no, nah, because here's the thing about it, man. Pac don't care about me. <laughs> Pac ain't got no respect for me at all. 
as I once had to say to an ex of mine about some ex of hers that she swore that she was just friends with, I was like, yo, you told me a story about him getting with his homeboy's girl. If he'll get with his homeboy's girl, he ain't got no problem getting with mine. But in the end, this is what I done figured out about those kinds of things. You ain't about to, you, you ain't going to stop nothing from happening. Whatever it is, you can get as mad about it as you want. You can snoop around about it as much as you want. In the end, you ain't doing nothing to stop it. Appreciate the question. Let me see what we got here. So these Kappa dudes really thought they was going to roll up on Boosie over his shirt. Now, this story cracked while I was doing jury duty, and I appreciated the fact that this story happened because, I mean, it wasn't really that exciting in there. Whoo, boy, that was funny. And it was funny. To, I, I want to be fair about something here. Um, in fairness to the Kappas, most of the Kappas took this in stride. At least the Kappas that I'm cool with. Most of them took this in stride. Or perhaps they took it in stride simply while they were talking to me because they know I find the whole idea of their little club to be silly. But they seem to take it in stride. But the ones who did not, oh, baby. They was heated. And I had all these cats talk about how they go run up on Boosie. And this is my, I have such a big problem with when the fraternities want to go out here and fight people. Because the whole reason you claim to get into that stuff is because you're trying to make something better out of yourself, right? But at once, y'all want to be these, these dignified motherfuckers that's ahead of everybody else, but y'all also want to get out here and fight people. Come on, man. Some dude was like, well, I want to go and I want to talk to him about the history of this great organization. And I'm like, yo, man, I understand where you're coming from. I know why you care so much about Kappa, man, but don't nobody else care about y'all like that. Like, no, that's what y'all want to do. That's cool. But don't act like y'all are more important than you actually are. Like, that to me was the best part. And Boosie's just like, yeah, I just like the shirt. I thought it was cool. My brother down with them, maybe strolling to my song. I thought it was all good. Right? Except being a member of your little fraternity ain't enough. You got to feel good about it, so you got to play into the whole idea about how hard you had to do all this stuff in order to get into it. Therefore, you can't just claim Boosie because Boosie ain't do everything that had to be done in order to be down with the crew. Yeah. Come on, man. So Anyway, you had the cabins like, yeah, man, you about to say, we'll run, we'll run up on... I mean, you can. Right? Like, if you talk about shooting the fair one with Boosie... You got a chance, weight classes. You know what I'm saying? I don't know why you think Boosie going to shoot the fair one. And by the way, shout out to everybody who made sure not to tell Boosie that some cats was talking about how they would run up on him because I am positive that if Boosie had any idea that some of these dudes was out here getting their shimmy on talking about how they would fight Boosie, the tenor that Boosie had in his replies would be completely different. Y'all need to find whoever it is out here that is filtering the images and the messages that Boosie is receiving. Because otherwise, I don't think this would have ended nearly as positively. I do not. We're going to run up on Boosie. Son, have you ever Googled him? I imagine the wiki will tell you everything that you need to know. 
Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Is J-Lo really the Oscar snub hill y'all want to die on? Look, man, I don't watch enough movies to really care about who does or does not win Oscars, gets nominated. I recognize that there is, in fact, a general problem with representation in the awards and the industry in general. And I am here for the people who are fighting against such things. Right. One hundred percent. Totally got it. With you. However, there is one thing I want everybody to keep in mind here. They only nominate five people, man. Like I saw that, I, I saw Dolomite is my name. If they would have nominated Eddie Murphy for it, got it. Not really tripping that they didn't. Now somebody says here, I saw that movie, Lizzo being in the stripper cast made it lose all realism. And the only thing I can conclude from you saying that is that you have never been to a strip club that has like black dancers. Lizzo being a stripper, not at all unrealistic. Or maybe that's just down south. I don't know. Uh, but anyway, yeah, like if they had nominated Eddie, I would have gotten it. He was better in Dreamgirls than he was in that. But if they nominated, cool, I would have seen it. But like I didn't see that and think, oh, my God, there's no way that there were five people who put in a better performance than that. And somebody says in New York next to J-Lo. Next to J-Lo, yes, that happens. This is amazing. You are going with the lose all realism for you about a movie that was based on a true story. You remind me of a friend of mine. You're not going to outsmart everything. But anyway, yeah, man, I, I do think it's worth keeping in mind. Uh, ain't but so many people that can get nominated. Appreciate the question. Let's see what we got here. Have you had to approach anyone for stealing your material like Mark Curry did Steve Harvey? It kind of depends on what you mean, but yes, I don't think I've, I've never like run up on anybody in person for stealing my material. But when I worked on the radio in Durham, uh, Eric Adelson, then of ESPN, the magazine, uh, one of my favorite guys, one of my favorite writers, love that dude. Um, Eric had written a story about the idea of Rasheed Wallace becoming a head coach. And I read it and it gave me an idea for like a great radio bit. And so I came up with something that was called the Coach She Movement. And it was a long-term play to make Rasheed Wallace the next head coach at the University of North Carolina. Right. You know, and so I came to the crib. I broke out Garage Band. I made, like, I recorded stuff. I got people to help me with the recording, use their voices. I was chopping up sound. Like, I was, I was, I was taking beats and chopping them up, all that stuff to make it happen. I created visuals, right? I got a whole folder of different video, visual propaganda that could be used. I had all of it. I set that whole thing up, and it was a staple of a radio show that I used to do. And every now and then, people would bring something up about a coach, and I'd be like, uh, I know who we want. And then we hit the button. And we play Koshid, and then it would go. Like, it was a really great thing. And so a couple years after that, I'm not working on radio anymore, but a guy that I used to know when I worked in the business did an interview with Sheed, and he's like, so, Rashid, there's this thing going on. It's a, it's a movement, if you will, 
um, I don't even know where it started, but it is a Coach Sheed movement. And my man uh, heard it on the radio. And he clipped it. And he sent it to me. And I heard it. And so when I saw that, I hit him back. I hit the dude. And I said to him, you know where that, I hit him on Twitter. It was the only place I could because it was immediate. I was like, you know where this came from. You know where that came from. And he had to own it. He's just like, you're right. That's as close as I got. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Prince Harry out here risking it all, huh? Yeah, no, this is the definition of risking it all. I guess I talked about this a little bit on the Right Time Podcast. Uh, look, man, he decided he ain't trying to live that royal life no more. They ain't treating his queen right. He got to keep it moving. I respect that. And I tell you, man, you want to talk about a heavy bet on love. Like, I asked this on the Right Time Podcast, and I asked you guys this question now. I can take it from there and bring it here because it's all me, and I ask you this sincerely. How much money is Harry going to need in order to continue to live life at the standard at which he has grown accustomed? Like, I mean, this is a serious question. How much money does it require? Because they're going to get out here, they're going to make their own bread, all that stuff. That's cool, right? There's no shortage of opportunity for them to make money. There's all kinds of people that are going to be falling over themselves wanting to give them money. Totally get it. How much money is it going to take for him to live the life that he has come to know that life is? Because I got to tell you, folks, that sounds expensive to me. Man says here, they left the royal family, but ain't give up that $30 million they got just for existing in the $4 million estate. Homie, $30 million ain't, that's ball player money. These are not ball players. Uh, they got a photo. Uh, I don't look. I just want to know how much money it costs. That's all. Dude said they literally have a tower full of jewels. Yeah, the the big they, not this new they they starting. Is it strange no one the president knows you? I think Obama probably knew you, but forty five definitely knows you or knew you at one point. Yeah, I guess we'll see. I'm not convinced that the president. The current president knew who I was. Michael Cohen knew who I was. I don't know if it ever got all the way up to the man, but Michael Cohen knew who I was. Obama, um, my understanding is that Obama's aware of who I am. That being said, I once went to an event um, with Obama there. And I thought Obama saw me. And I thought we was going to do a head nod. And then he says... Doug Williams. Because Doug Williams was standing next to me. Doug Williams. 
And I was like, you know what? That's the way it should be. That's the way it should be. That's right. Four touchdowns. Nine in one game in one quarter. He took that Al Bundy thing to a whole nother level. Favorite car you own before you made some good money. Make model years. Okay. That's going to require me to tell you a little bit of a story, but I'm going to tell you the story. Now, I need you to understand in the telling of this story that this story is very much so a tale of a bourgeois child, like not a ridiculously bourgeois child, but a bourgeois child nonetheless. All right. You ready? You ready? Here we go. So my brother at the time, I know. So, okay. Taking steps. We're going to start in like October of 1995. Okay. So in October of 1995, my brother was driving a 1989 Toyota Corolla. Okay. He then got a job that gave him a company car. And so with that company car, he then left the Corolla at the parents' house. And the plan was, when I got my driver's license, I would drive that car. And that plan held to four. And so I drove that car my senior year of high school. And it was at my parents' house on the weekends when I was in college. And I would come drive. Well, one day, uh, basically the car was running hot and I didn't treat that with enough respect. And so I killed the car. I killed the car. And so now I'm not about to have a car except for the fact it's the summer after my freshman year of college. And so, yeah, I could be there without a car, but the parents really didn't want that, right? Because I'd either be taking using their cars all the time, and my parents live in different places, so there's only one car there. So I'd be left stuck there, and that wouldn't be fun for anybody, all this stuff. So anyway, parents were like, all right, we got you. We're going you know, to get you. We, we, we help you get another car. And I asked them, like, what kind of cars were they talking about? And hold up right fast, because somebody said, did you put some slap in that Corolla? Yes, I put some Infinity Kappa five and a quarters in the back dash and two Rockford Fosgate tens and boxes in the trunk. Anyway, ask folks like what they think about in terms of cars. And they're like, yeah, um, you know, maybe a Civic. And I'm like, yo, man, I'm 6'4". I ain't really trying to be out here pushing no Civic. Like, it's just not my preference. Like, if they had gotten me the Civic, I wouldn't go give it back, right? But if there was another way to do this, I was going to figure out what it was. And you got to understand, my parents are cheap, frugal, however you want to spend it. Anyway, I finally came up with something. And I was like, yo, Hold on. JP in the chat room says, 
I heard your whip had some tins, but you kept them clean, though. JP, you do understand that he was talking about something else, right? So anyway, now I got to figure out this car thing. And so it's 98 now. Like, we fast forward into 98. My mom had a 92 Accord EX. All right? I don't know how many of y'all, how many of y'all know the game on this, but the EX, not the LX, not the DX, the EX. That thing had a nice engine in it, all that stuff. And I'm like, huh. And so I tell my mama, you know what? No, we ain't do the gold package. We ain't that kind. We ain't country like that. So anyway, I told my mama, I'm like, you know what? I honestly don't really feel right about the idea of having a newer car than you have. That is just not right. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I, I should not have a newer car than you. And you deserve to do something nice for yourself. Because she does. My mother doesn't do nearly enough nice things for herself. I'm like, you, you should do something nice for yourself. You know, you've been frugal, all this stuff. You don't got to this point. I'm your last kid. I'm out the house. Y'all ain't even got to pay for me to go to school. You know what I'm saying? You good. And so my mama went out and got herself a new car. She got herself an Acura, the, the, the TL, the 3-2. She went and got that Acura for herself. And then that Accord EX slid on down to me. Y'all like that, don't you? Y'all like that, don't you? And we take the next step. We get to about 09. I'm broke. My mom was about to go get herself a new car. She says she's about to trade that Acura in. I'm like, whoa, 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 you ain't got to do that. I went and picked that Acura up. Yeah. Anyway, uh, somebody says, uh, how'd your brother feel about this? My brother was impressed. He couldn't believe I pulled that off. Like, that was an amazing act of finesse. All y'all have to admit. Yes, and then that Acura slid down to Lance. Lance now has the Acura. In case y'all wondered if me and Lance are cool in real life. Appreciate the question. Let me see what else we got here. Feels a bit weird to induct other rappers into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame before LL Cool J, right? All right, I've been making this point now for years that LL Cool J should have been the first and just how ridiculous it is that he is not receiving consideration. But guys... Whitney fucking Houston just got in. Just got. The moral of the story here is that the white music press just doesn't respect black music unless and or until 
some white person tells them that they should be concerned with it. Now, the thing about rap that is interesting is that you had white people that told them that they should pay attention to public enemy. You had white people ultimately legitimize the idea that they should pay attention to gangster rap. You didn't really have anybody tell them that they should be should be on this LL Cool J thing as like an artistic endeavor to care about. I mean, obviously they're on it on some level because LL Cool J sold all them records. But and I guess part of it too now that LL is so far removed from rap, really. I mean, he rapped on New Year's Eve, but that's not the thing that he does. I don't know, but I can't. I'm not interested in explaining this anymore because explaining it doesn't matter. Just go read. Just go look this up. That dude is too important to an art form that is endured for too long to not be treated with the respect that someone of the similar catalog and impact in any other form of music will receive. Somebody here said the Beastie Boys are not in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Um, I am pretty sure you are incorrect. And you are incorrect. Of course, the Beastie Boys are in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Well, you know, they played instruments. All right, appreciate the question. I think I got one more in me. Let me see if I can find something I care about. I did. I already closed this. Does respecting your elders basically boil down to ignoring old folks when they talk reckless? It sure does. I don't know why that took so long to figure out. I ain't really going to answer this, but this dude said, never heard you speak about his music. What do you think about Future as an artist and his solo endeavor slash songwriting? He holds an interesting spot as one of the modern crown gems of Rico Wayne and the success of the Dungeon family. It's too many big words to be talking about fucking Future, man. No disrespect. I just have never been interested in his music, but whenever I've heard his music, it's been pretty good. All right, we'll close with this. Final question. Brad could have just stayed home, right? Nah, Brad couldn't stay home. We need the third person in the Jeopardy competition. It was very interesting, though, watching how the whole James strategy changes when somebody is nearly as good as him. Because the thing that happened with James was with the other folks, he was running the board. None of them could get in as quickly as him. He's dominating the questions, and then he's getting the daily doubles, right? So he's just racking up money, racking up money, racking up money. He couldn't rack up the money against these dudes and on top of not being able to rack, I mean, get the daily doubles. He couldn't get the daily doubles, and they were upset. Well, Ken in particular was of similar quickness on the buzzer. So he couldn't even like come charging back after the fact just because of somebody having similar buzzer speed. Right. And people thought before that the whole way to beat him was just going to be, well, if you adopt his strategy and you get the daily doubles, you'll beat him. No. The reason that James beat all those people was not because of what he was doing on the daily doubles, but because he knew the answers to all the questions. He was out there with somebody else who knew the answers of all the questions. And then Ken got the stomach about him. Once Ken got comfortable with them big bets, it was game on. It was game on. I loved it. It was great television. I really enjoyed it. And the big thing that I loved about it was, man, the cats out there talking shit. Like, it was good nature shit talking. You ain't think you could see that that far. They really did it. I don't know if they could ever reproduce it in a way that would be interesting. But, hey, man, thought it was great. Hope you guys enjoyed it. But ladies and gentlemen, thanks so much for joining us here on The Evening Jones. to do this thing when we can. My man Lance Gilliam handles everything behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Uh, remember, if you can't watch The uh, Evening Jones live, subscribe to the podcast. Subscribe at the iTunes store. Subscribe at Stitcher Radio. Check us out on SoundCloud. You can also find us at the Google Play Store. And I'll talk to you guys, you know, 
few days. Take it easy.